Prevence Podcast. Welcome again, everyone, to the Prevence Podcast, where we invite our guests to talk about the work and the lies before the backdrop of digitization and connectivity. Today, I'm talking to Jonas, who is a work psychologist at Ambient Innovation in Cologne. He's a passionate pioneer of modern workplace culture, highly experienced in both the enterprise and startup environment. He is also the king of dad jokes and the inventor of the 10 o'clock truce. Jonas, my man, did I, did I get everything or did I, did I miss out on a field of, of expertise there? Uh, no, I think you, you have covered everything, <laughs> everything that uh, makes me an individual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start off with a really abstract question. Jonas, what do you do? All right. Okay. No, pulling no punches. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what do I do? Um, well, we're getting existential fast. So uh, in my professional life, mm -hmm. I'm mostly concerned with creating workplaces that don't suck, mm -hmm. which, uh, which appears to be not many yet. <laughs> <laughs> But sure. yeah, we're working on it. And mm -hmm. um, I, do, I do like to think that innovation in that space is something that's that's happening and I just find it very interesting both personally and professionally. Um, I also uh, spend my time during this pandemic uh, cooking a mm -hmm, lot, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mastering the fr classic French omelette, for example, <laughs> um, or uh, baking, uh, that, that type of thing. It's very mundane, but you know, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm a pretty normal dude. I have a family and I, spend time with them. I go cool. to work. Cool. Um, uh, um, I have a couple of topics lined up uh, today for us. One of them is uh, leadership. Uh, in that regard, I wanted to ask you, I saw this question on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm just going to shamelessly borrow that question. What is the difference between a boss and a leader to you? Uh, what immediately comes to mind is a, is a picture mm -hmm. of a... I think we saw the same post. <laughs> possibly. It's, it's a bit of a meme um, but it's repeated for good reason. Um, so uh, a, a boss, I think, in most people's minds is someone who gets them to do things they don't really want to be doing um, and then sort of just ignores personal preferences, desires and everything else uh, and just finds ways to, uh, what's the right word, to, to uh, yeah, I don't know, nudge. Let's let's keep it friendly. Let's say it finds ways to nudge people to do uh, to do what they feel needs to be done. And a leader, I think, for most people, would be someone who uh, charges ahead and sort of provides people with a vision, purpose, and finds finds ways to um, yeah Motivate get people to focus on yeah. something they actually want to achieve right, right. Uh, and inspires people to follow. Right, exactly. That's yeah. a, that's exactly the thing I had in mind as well. Leader is someone that you would like to follow, whereas a boss is someone who would tell you, "You go ahead and do that. See what happens." And uh, in the end, you know, you're going to be the one who takes the fall, which might not even necessarily be the case. But you would not. I would always be more comfortable following someone who's already, you know, gone the mile before and said, "Okay, go ahead and follow me," and not said, "Okay, you, we, you, we're just going to try this, and you're going to be the one to test that out." Um, what's the What's the worst leadership experience or boss experience that you have ever oh. made? Like, uh, oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so small disclaimer, mm -hmm. personality-wise, me, I, I, I'm not great with authority. Um, so uh, I've had several 
several experiences. They're all very diverse. I'm I'm very very good at finding things I find objectionable personally uh, when people do this, uh, and I don't mean to demean them. I think everybody is doing everybody is doing their best. Uh, well, what comes to mind? Um, one thing that I will just never fully comprehend. Uh, I had a job once where there was very little to do and I felt a little bit lost and I went to to the person supervising me and I sort of I'm, I'm, I made a pitch I am embellished a little bit but basically the gist was uh, that I told I told them that uh, there was not so much to do and I would like to contribute more and be more productive and maybe there is a project that I could contribute to or or something else And the response I got was, um, it's not part of my duties to create tasks for you when there are none. And let's, let's just say I mildly disagree uh, up, up to this day. Um, but yeah, that was, that was very wild in, in my mind because I always thought, I was like, man, she will think I'm so awesome That I that I come and ask to be doing more and proactively go up to someone and be like, yeah, hey, what and, can you uh, do? instead the whole dynamic changed and it was like a limited time contract and it didn't get renewed. Surprise! <laughs> after this, so I didn't make friends uh, that day apparently. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was wild. I'm, should I go on? <laughs> no, I'm, actually, I'm just going to hook right into that. Yeah. What would you? Uh, I mean, what was? your direct response to that, or what would you say for, for people that are experiencing bad leadership, what would be the best response as an employee or maybe as a, also a fellow other manager in response to exactly that bad leadership where you obviously are not, don't have the same opinion and you have to, you have to somehow handle it. I mean, what did you do in that situation then? I did other things. Okay. Yeah. Just I embraced embraced the bottom and yeah. waited for the contract to finish. Okay. Um yeah. but that was also because just over time it became apparent that I wasn't I wasn't able to change the situation. It was like a whole very corporate yeah. traditional environment and it's not not very I wouldn't have hired myself into that position had I known what it was like. I see. Uh, but what people should do, definitely talk about it. I mean, you can you can't solve a problem if you're not talking about it, and you should definitely go uh, and reach out to the people and tell them what you need, what you're experiencing, and um, be very solution oriented. Yeah. In that I yeah. think. Yeah. But if that's not reciprocated, just leave. Yeah. Okay. Leave the job. Yeah. Leave the company. I mean, sometimes you can transfer within within the same company. That's fine. But if you feel like If you feel like you want something else and you're just increasingly sure you won't get it, just leave. And that's the, there is no uh, trying to hope or to affect change in another person against their will is a fool's errand. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, asking from a different perspective then, then what's, uh, are there certain characteristics that you find that define a really good leader? For me, it's for, for example, the ability to actually learn or to, to take, uh, um, to take feedback, also negative or constructive feedback, and actually actively improve yourself. Even if that feedback comes from someone who is, let's say, in a hierarchical mm. structure way beneath you, but you see, okay, that person has got a point, and I will actively, I will actively uh, introduce some action points so that I can better myself. That is, for example, in my opinion, a good characteristic of a leader. Are there any more that come to your mind? Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Uh, in my mind, I would call it being humble. <clears throat> being humble, just... Uh, never assuming that you're done, that you know everything and can do everything. 
Um, what I've always liked personally, so like the the coolest person I've ever worked with or worked for was someone who would keep pushing me forward and uh, just try to show me the limits I was seeing and why I wasn't right and setting that particular limit and what I could do to develop further. That was... Uh, he did it very well and uh, we're still friends also today and I really appreciated that. Um, I think also really providing focus is absolutely underrated. So I've worked most of my time in small companies and so focus is like super important uh, to get things done in a small company. And so a leader who is able to keep refocusing you onto what's important and uh, making you spend your energy on the right tasks, um, that will just naturally lead to the individual and the team feeling more successful over time. Uh, and that can be quite inspiring. Um, let me think if there is something else. I think um, the the last part sort of ties into the first one. It's just not being super serious all the time and being able to to talk like normal people exactly. to one another, like step out of that former relationship and just um, not necessarily be friends, but like be cool, you know. Um, I asked this question, this is kind of building up to to, uh, to this. Uh, guess our last guest was Alicia Andat. She's a lawyer from Berlin and she also has this clubhouse talk, this uh, round table where they always discuss, the last time they discussed leadership mm -hmm. and they had uh, from a legal tech company, Uh, which are more of a startup style, flat hierarchies, uh, kind of what we're used to. But they also had like, um, yeah, they, the, the, the really the, the big four, basically, like mm -hmm. really top-notch legal firms. And they had, they had invited people from there as well. And then they had the question, which leadership style is best? And of course, you had the, the, the guys and the, and the girls in the, in the gray suits and the, you know, going like, well, we definitely need hierarchy. Hierarchy is the only way to real success. And then you had... The, the startup people who mm -hmm. are just as successful as them, of course not with the, with the money, but uh, who, are, who are skyrocketing at the moment, telling them, no, absolutely not. We also work in legal tech or we, work, we, we, are, you know, we, have, uh, we work in law and we, we are the best example that it also works with the flat hierarchies, with the you know, trust over control. And it was a really, really heated discussion. And, and my question now is actually superfluous. I, was, I wanted to ask, <laughs> what, in, what, in which camp do you see yourself? What would you think? Mm. Is hierarchy always bad? No. No, I think uh, both the idea that it's always bad and that social systems without any hierarchy at all are even possible, uh, I think that's just not... It's somewhat of a naive view mm, uh, yeah. in some ways. Uh, let's say uh, you're part of a firefighting team and you pull up in front of a burning building. Uh, what would you rather see? Would you like to see like a guy make decisions to... like? Yeah put out the fire and rescue people or would you rather think like okay somebody's putting up a, a few post-its on a wall everybody's <laughs> pulling up chairs and they're gonna have a healthy discussion about what's the best approach okay. here yeah. Uh, yeah and maybe a b test it a little bit you know that doesn't make sense yeah um so yeah. absolutely uh, hierarchies have their place mm -hmm. um for example so psychologically or organizational science um as a perspective would tell us that hierarchies increase efficiency, but they also reduce flexibility. So hierarchical organizations become super good at executing a certain plan to perfection. So you have, uh, let's say here in Cologne, we have Ford who are building cars, right? So building 
cars is an incredibly small margin business where you definitely need the super efficient approach um, because I, th I think I read a couple years ago that Ford makes like 200 euros of profit per car they sell, which seems crazy given that the average car is in the tens of thousands, yeah, right? Yeah. So in those, uh, in those instances, um, hierarchy is pretty good. Or in the military where you just right. really have a strategy that you need to execute in order to find out if it works, um, that's the tool you should use probably. Um, but then... What, if, what about office work, though? I mean, yeah, if, you, if yeah. you're talking about the military, of a, of a firefighter, sure, they definitely need someone who tells the other people what to do because, well, time is, of course, an absolute issue and it's life and death. But mm -hmm. what, uh, just a normal office environment, I guess, where it's not a matter of life and death, it's just about the matter of making the most revenue. I mean, uh, we can see it a lot. The companies that started out with this rather flexible outlook and, mm -hmm. and that, that just turned huge be it Microsoft or Facebook or whatever, they all lived with, you know, Facebook was, was with the beanbags in, the, yeah, in their, in their mm -hmm. offices or whatever. But even they, because they are so huge right now, they say, well, of course, we have hierarchical structures as well. And it was just, we, we couldn't, you know, plan around that. But uh, do you think it would still be possible, the, the bigger a company gets that you, that you maintain, let's say this, uh, this uh, startup mentality of always, you know, eye level as much as possible and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I think culturally, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you can, you can, or you should be able to have a big organization where people are still able to talk to each other like normal people and not um, fall into political games. There is actually an interesting uh, book uh, by a guy. I think he's the CEO of a biotech company now, and he sort of says uh, the the main ingredient is the ratio of people who are competing for a leadership position. And you want to you keep that ratio as big as possible. So like, if five people are competing in their minds, at least for the position of their boss, everyone thinks like, kind of, I think I got a shot, you know? <laughs> and then, then it becomes political. But if you have 30 people competing for that same position, the individual's Prob the individually calculated probability of having a reasonable chance at obtaining that job gets lower and so people refocus their energy. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one thing where you can really, and this is what a flat hierarchy is, right? You have fewer leadership levels with more individuals reporting yeah. to a leadership role. But then on the other hand, it really depends what you're trying to do. If you want to be, if you want innovation and flexibility, then you shouldn't have a hierarchy or a less hierarchical system um, but if you don't need innovation you need execution because you know exactly what works and you just need need it to run well in order to get the most out of it then probably more structure is what you want the problem of course is when it changes and and this is sort of the macro trend of the VUCA world uh, so this like volatile uncertain ambiguous I don't know what the C was for I'm sorry um, but it basically, basically, it means uh, the world used to be easier to understand. And once you understood it, the paradigm you had was valid for a longer period of time. And so that's changing, right? So uh, we now uh, have much more rapid change going on everywhere. So I think a good example is just the software space where every five to 10 years you have completely new companies that seem to just dominate certain areas of the business world and you never heard of them before. And it's true now and it will be true in five years, probably going to get faster. 
You have companies like Tesla, where 15 years ago, everybody was laughing about them and nobody was building electric cars. And now everybody is building electric cars because they just created that demand in the market where everyone now says like, okay, I kind of want a cool electric car. And if Mercedes or whoever isn't building one, um, then they just won't be buying their cars. Um, so, And I think in order to adapt uh, to to this rapid change where if you want to stay relevant as a business, you have to be able to reinvent yourself. And if you're super stuck in a certain, uh, in a certain hierarchical political system uh, that has lots of unwritten rules, you're just not going to be very good at doing that. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely agree. Um, I mentioned something in the beginning. I'm going to take that up again. Jonas, you invented the 10 o'clock truce. Do you mind telling? Because nobody knows what the hell the 10 o'clock truce is except for what, uh, yeah, yes. yeah, what is it and how did, you, how did you come up with that idea? Okay. Uh, let, me, let me lend some credibility to the concept yes. uh, from the start and saying that it is a pretty well accepted concept that there are uh, people who have a later biorhythm and people who are earlier people. So they are called owls and larks. Mm-hmm. So I myself. Uh, what, what was the second? Larks. Larks. What is? I don't know that word. What? Uh, so it's a bird that it's gets bird? up early. Okay. Apparently, <laughs> um, uh, the the bird with the worm, people would say, oh, right? Very, very yeah. Nice. So anyway, I'm an owl myself, uh, and so basically, uh, it just means that uh, for certain people, the biorhythm just has a different structure where you are your high performance times throughout the day are at later hours. <clears throat> so, and uh, the 10 o'clock truce is just a funny, funny name I invented to not be held accountable for things that go wrong too early in the morning when I'm just not, I have to be there because life, life is dominated by larks, uh, but uh, I, I have to adapt somehow. So I think, I, I would like to think that larks also screw up late at night if they Absolutely. have to focus. Uh, and so for them, maybe we have a 10 p.m. truce, uh, <laughs> if you will. Maybe, yeah, we got to keep it, yeah, yeah, we got to keep it open. For yeah. I was like, <clears throat> that the, all these sayings, like the early bird catches the worm, they also have like a, a, a follow-up, which says the exact opposite. It's like, um, <laughs> for the early bird, it's the early bird catches the worm, but the s- second mouse gets the cheese or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean? And it always, yeah. Anyway, what I really liked about the 10 o'clock truce is because I myself also am an owl. And I remember our meetings at nine o'clock in the morning. Both of us not have had any coffee and we're just spitballing ideas. And we know all of these ideas are shit. And we're like, oh, I can't, I really. And then you're like, okay, you know what? While, while I'm presenting the idea and I'm thinking like, well, maybe there are more economical ways to boost company morale than a pool table. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call the 10 o'clock truce right now. And everybody's like, okay, cool. 10 o'clock truce, 10 o'clock truce. Yeah. No, I just found it was kind of like the, how do you say the... Uh, manifestation of like psychological safety which i really which i really mm-hmm. like in a company like psychologically safe means you are not afraid to make mistakes or you are you 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 kind of you, you bring you can bring your ideas in without having to uh, think of the consequences like hey don you really you just wasted 15 minutes of your life with that weird idea of a pool table it's like no i'm just bring that idea in because why not you know what's the worst that can happen maybe I, maybe it was a bad idea but at least i want to be able to speak my mind on it mm-hmm. and that's just super that's uh and yeah and the 10 o'clock cruise was like okay if i have these ideas they have to come before 10 o'clock after after that i have to be on point <laughs> so no i really yeah so but yeah. that creates a weird dynamic where you now have to strategically plan ahead 
to yeah. to maintain uh, the yeah. low quality ideas ahead of 10 a.m., <laughs> which in ca- which is again effort and sort of defeats the purpose, maybe you know. Oh man, we got <laughs> we got to play that out. We got to. <laughs> Yeah. At the end of the day, it was like after we had our second coffee, then we were on point. You know, that was a, the yes. second coffee was always like the benchmark. It's like after a year, yeah, okay, we can we can keep on going. Um, here's another question. Uh, I heard from who did I hear? Also, I think I read it either on LinkedIn or someone told me uh, we used it in honestly a lot. We didn't say employees, but we used the word talent. Like mm. uh, for what do you think of what do you think of that? Because, because I hear that word is really catching on, and. Um, Yeah, I would just like to hear your thoughts on that as an as a, as a work psychologist, HR professional, or people professional, which would lead to my next question. But yeah, what, uh, employee or talent? What would you rather use? I I have a really really a hard time pretending I care either way. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in the end, uh, people come up with like different names for things that are a bit chewed out. Uh, so in recruiting software developers, at some point, everybody was looking for rock stars. Really? Yes. And I, I always wondered why. They do drugs, they don't adhere to any schedule, and they smash the room they sleep in. Uh, why they also, <laughs> but they also write songs like Roxanne, you don't need to... Yes, but would light. you want to employ that person? Hell no, absolutely yes. not. Hell no. <laughs> It actually, just a short tangent, some guy... Uh, on the internet actually invented a programming language called Rockstar, which completely works uh, by some form of recycling actual rock song lyrics. So he could put in his resume that he's a Rockstar developer. Yeah, so, but that just goes to show you that uh, mm. I don't think the people you mean actually like that term. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, but so but, if I don't, mm. I like employees. Talent is in a way on a on a more abstract level is a nice way of uh, valuing that people have talents and competencies uh, and own their own goals uh, probably employees is also fine i mean that's the that's just the relationship a company has to these people uh, but you know i'm i think i'm more of a fan of being context dependent um, so if I'm, I write a contract for an employee, but I talk to a person, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you know, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why, uh, that's why I think there is no, no right, right that's or wrong right. term. Yeah. Just don't call them human resources. That's human really <laughs> weird. <laughs> that would be my next, no, that would be my next, when I, I how, do, how long we know, we know each other for two years now. And you said that you always didn't like the term human resources. Yes. You always went for, back at honestly, you were the head of people and now you do What you, you, also people operations people operations exactly yes, I just what is uh, why is that so important to you that you don't want to call them you don't want to call it HR but say people okay because it's uh, it's weird to me that it's sort of an accepted accepted uh, view or at least a lot of people claim they're like oh, our people are our biggest asset but then you refer to them as resources and resources are something that uh, is mined processed, depleted, something that, that doesn't seem very, very human and affectionate uh, to me. And it's sort of, it's a, it's a technical term in the English language, but if you use, if like German people who do this job would call, would translate it to menschliche Ressourcen, that would, they would immediately notice how weird it sounds. And um, so I, I think uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really express 
a, a worldview where these are actual people with individual goals, desires, competencies, problems, skills, etc., um, who should have a say in how their work works. Uh, yeah. And when they don't, that's tying back to like one of the first things I said, uh, work doesn't work for most people. Most people, apparently, if you believe the statistics, do not really particularly like their jobs uh, and have a very weird, weird way of looking at it. My dad would always tell me like, go to a big company, you will be set for life. And I was like, but what, what if I don't like it? That doesn't, didn't figure in his calculation. Right. Um, right. So I think if we want a more, uh, um, a world of work where people actually feel psychologically safe, want to, want to share their ideas and be creative and not get ill uh, through work, we should start by how we frame our relationships uh, to them and yeah, maybe not referring to them as resources. Agree, completely uh, agree. It's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Would you rather? Wait, what is more important for you? Is it uh, if you if if somebody comes and uh, wants to work at Ambient Innovation, you do the interview? How important is cultural fit? The most important thing. The most important thing. Yes. Okay. okay. You will never ever get a job there if you're not a fit. Okay. Culturally. And uh, what if the person is like in um, in their field of work, complete expertise, completely? But well, then I'm very happy for the company <laughs> who decides to to take them on, and I hope okay. that they are a cultural fit right. there. And why? Uh, why? Yeah. Why? No. Why? Why is culture so yeah. important? Okay. So um, imagine you are living in an apartment with yes. ten people. Yes. What percentage of those people would you tolerate to be assholes on a daily basis? Zero. I rest my case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, wait, the thing is, we ask this question a lot and everybody <clears throat> says, well, no, cultural fit is super, super yes. important because you cannot teach someone not to be a douche. You can teach someone who is not particularly, no, not perfect yet in his or her field to learn more, but it's really, really hard to, to you know, integrate someone who is simply not integratable into that yeah. certain community. Okay. I, I have given the yellow press answer now. Let me elaborate. <laughs> Let me elaborate just a little bit. Um, so it doesn't, it's not necessarily just about being an asshole or not. Actually, somebody who is not the most likable person could still very well be an excellent cultural fit because it's just more, more than personal sympathy. Uh, I mean, in, uh, in the, at Ambient, we're 70 people. It's quite unlikely that everybody is going to be excellent friends with everybody, right? But so the question is always, what actually is your culture? Which I would say is already a question that most organizations can't clearly answer without uh, lapsing into platitudes uh, and general terms uh, that don't really mean anything. Um, but for example, so Ambient is an, a very uh, agile organization and we, we don't have a flat hierarchy. I, we don't have any hierarchy. There are managing directors who own the business mm -hmm. and that's it. And there is, that's it. That's it. There are, there are different teams who work on projects for clients. And then uh, if, you, if you want to step out of your core role and participate in another uh, field, Uh, of the business like sales marketing hr whatever we have circles which are just parallel teams but responsibility 
uh, works with just like, hey, I'm going to be responsible for this, mm-hmm. right? Nobody assigns anyone else work. Uh, you discuss it in the in the team or the circle. Uh, who's going to do what and then you just go and do it and you you are responsible for getting it done and getting help and everything right so okay. uh, and we use scrum a pretty pretty clean uh, version of scrum um, but my point is cultural fit means can you perform well within these cultural boundaries right and my experience in the past is for example if you have people who have worked 20 years in corporate environments where there are very high stakes in getting something wrong uh, where you could always rely on passing the buck up the chain uh, maybe if things don't work and where there was always somebody who would help you decide what to do or help you choose what's important they have a very hard time just forgetting that you know you you just learn it and it's fine also i'm there is no judgment there Uh, it just means they're probably not going to transition well into an environment where they don't have a boss where there is nobody uh who who you who will tell you what to do and where where your work entirely depends on your ability to talk to your colleagues find out Uh, what's going on, prioritize together and then just at some point just say like, okay, I'll do this. I'll make sure this gets done. Uh, And so it's a different way. It's a different way of working, which psychologically is very healthy. Uh, So I do judge on that level because being able to decide for yourself what you are doing, when you will be doing it, who you are doing it with uh, and deciding, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you tell me to come on. Don't you? Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, having like uh, being in control for a big chunk of this process, uh, that's very psychologically healthy. And you don't have that very often in big corporate environments. Yeah. I, I actually have, I get lots of applicants who come from these environments, mostly young people yeah. who sort of realized after the first one or two years, like, hey, I'm, I feel like I'm just a number here. Right, right. Nobody cares how I'm doing. Uh, Everybody just cares about some KPIs that I feel are completely unrealistic. And I just have to grind it out day in, day out. They apply to companies like ours uh, because they just don't feel like uh, they they could ever be comfortable working there. But for every one of these kinds of people, for everyone like me who doesn't enjoy it at all, there is somebody who really likes it and thrives and can be successful in those environments. I remember when I applied at Honestly, when you were still head of uh, head of yes. people at Honestly, and I uh, I came from my job before that was at uh, well we were an external service provider for a corporate <clears throat> yeah, for a corporate bank, and there was exactly that you know a lot of what's the English word Ellbogengesellschaft, like Shark Tank mentality, mm-hmm. kind of like that, you know. And I could I, you know me, I do not I cannot strive in an environment like that, but I noticed in a lot of other people that was exactly the environment that was right for them. No. I just noticed that it was completely not the thing for me. And then I applied out honestly. I remember I came in, it was a cultural interview, it was you and Omid, I think, mm-hmm. and I came in a fucking suit. I appeared that I just come into the start and everybody's <laughs> like who the hell is this? <laughs> and you interviewed me. You had shorts on or something. I was like, man, come on. But it still worked because we knew that after yeah, after the first 10 minutes or so, we would notice, okay, these are the kind of people that I really yeah. want to work with. And you already, you look past the suit, so to say. You're like, okay, yeah, okay. He seems to be a cool guy, even though he dresses like a douche. But uh, no. It looked good on you. Thank you. Let the record Thank show. You. Thank you. That is, what I, that is what I intended with that. No, but uh, yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Completely so, agree. Uh, you know, the cultural, the idea of cultural fit 
uh, it's dangerous to reduce it to to just being nice yeah. uh, and getting along. Um, it has to do with, for me at least, it has to do with having the natural inclination to work in a way that complements what's already there. Um, to work within the team, to share the values uh, of the company. So if you have, a, on a personal level, the value of assuming responsibility and ownership and want, you want that, then you probably should go to a company who wants to give you that responsibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's it's more nuanced, nuanced than that, uh, for sure. Jonas. I should have started with Jonas Jankos. Jonas, I know you to be a, a tech aficionado. What are the bottlenecks in Germany regarding digitization, if any that come to your mind? Is there like any certain instance where you thought like, hell, man, this, this could have been a digitalized process, but now I'm stuck here with 15 <laughs> pages of paper and it's going to take me two months to get an answer okay. from the city. So let me just say from the start, why are we still using fax machines? <laughs> there are, this, I don't know the exact number, but there are, I think, still thousands of fax machines on active duty in German government. Right. Right, so let's start there. What the fucks, so to speak. Uh, I think um, one article I read about the Corona app summed it up pretty well. Uh, is like this obsession with data security. And so nothing, absolutely nothing can be used if there is even the slightest doubt that it may violate some higher notion of data security. And this article said like, um, well, yes, uh, we can't roll out a way for people to be warned about positive corona cases in their environment earlier, but at least the dead people can rest assured that their data is safe. Mm -hmm. And I think this, yeah. this uh, is a bit morbid, but it sums it up uh, very nicely. Um, and I think... I don't know, man. It's something something about the German mentality uh, overall that just makes them very, very hesitant uh, to change uh, in some ways. So I used to, I went to school in the Netherlands and I had like a digital access for government services. I don't know, like 13 right. years ago where I could log in to like my tax uh, documents or whatever by getting a code on my cell phone, just like simple SMS code, I log in, I can take care of forms and everything, zero paper involved, it just works. In Germany, two government uh, instances in the same city don't even talk to one another. They will ask data of you several times over. And I'm just wondering, like, you are the government. Yeah. Why? I'm absolutely fine with you not bothering me, bother each other instead, just get it done, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's one thing, but on a, on a business side, uh, there was, uh, there was some study a while back, what board meetings are about and okay. it compared America and Germany. And so, uh, in American companies who, let's just say, should also not be role models in terms of data security Definitely and everything. Yeah, yes. So, Let it, let it be known. I, I don't think that's the, the perfect model for everything. But uh, when they have board meetings, the CEOs and the board members discuss opportunities 
in the market, uh, big picture trends. Um, they decide what to pursue, what not to pursue, and what uh, what opportunities there are and how to tackle them maybe, and they provide guidance and that kind of thing. So it's sort of future-oriented, okay. if you will. And uh, German board meetings are much more about laws, regulations, uh, and how to avoid uh, misstepping in some way. Um, and so that it's just focused on on different things. And I think this is indicative just of a of a larger culture where people just feel apprehensive of yeah. of trying trying new things. And there, another thing I read sometimes that, that Germans are like pessimistically future oriented, uh, which translates to they are preoccupied with what could go wrong. Persistently, and this gives you amazingly secure cars, trains, planes, everything. Right? There's there's quality. But there's, it also but it also gives you a fax machine in 2020. Yes, it also gives you a fax machine in 2020. Exactly. Uh, so so you go uh, you go to the government office in a very secure car to read the faxes of the day. Yeah. Um, I also saw another uh, <clears throat> pertaining to that to that fax machine thing is like the what was it? Some little. Uh, city in Bavaria, and their big their big win of the week was that they reduced their fax number to five digits, and they really meant it. And that was like a couple of weeks ago abroad. I'm like, is this for real though? Well, yeah, no, yes. but I get what you mean. And I saw also the thing with the Netherlands as well because, for, yeah, for me, just stuff like paying digitally, paying with your card, going mm -hmm. to Albert Heijn and just paying with your card. I I, I was standing there. I had like cash. In my in uh, in my wallet, as any good German would, and in front of me is like five like elderly ladies paying with everything with cards with a fucking keychain or something. She somehow paid yeah. with a keychain. I don't know. They in that regard, yeah. I'm also wondering why. I mean, it's yeah. not that it, much. Even yeah. better, a small detail I love in the Netherlands, you can put your card in before the cashier is finished scanning your products. Huh. Not in Germany, my friend. <laughs> Only a lunatic would <laughs> offer his card up before he knows what he will, is going to have to pay, right? <laughs> But if I think, I'm pretty sure if you calculate the time saved over the course of a day, uh, it, it, would be, right. it would be an amazing time save to do yeah. the same thing and not have yeah. to like wait around yeah. uh, to get that number. Just give them the card. Like, what are you going to do? It's like, oh, this is five euros more than I wanted to pay. Please take back my deep, fr deep freeze pizza. <laughs> This is not, nobody yeah. does that. Nobody does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. It's, it's weird uh, how German, German businesses uh, are focused on weird things. Like yeah. also just software made by these companies is just bad to use. It's, it just, it's just not fun to use. Uh, and it doesn't matter what it is. If, if it's the um, DHL package station where mm -hmm. you have like a self-service package station it could be the uh, operating system of a car uh, or i i had in one of my corporate jobs i had to work with an older version of sap and that just gave me ptsd it was so bad uh, just nobody cares about making it simple and easy to use it's much more about um predicting every eventuality and being ready for it and uh, i think it's Yeah, the successful software and digital projects just focus the person much more than the software in a way where it's just fun and easy to use. 
um, and that gets people to use it. And who cares if you have like five million features that nobody's ever going to use? Um, so I don't know. It's it's difficult, but it's changing for sure. We have m more and more young companies who are doing it differently and who are trying to cut through it and make it simpler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I love, by the way, how, how Marcel is reacting to this part. Normally, when Marcel is Marcel is in the background doing all the doing all the tech stuff, all the audio stuff, but today he's like, every time you say something, he's like, "Yeah, bro, I completely agree <laughs> with that." Like, yeah. um, Jonas, you're you're moving on to well, not bigger things, but you're, you're starting your own your own company now, right? Or can you in the midst of launching your own consultancy would be the right word? Okay. Or how can I how can I call? I feel it? pressured into committing something <laughs> right away. Um, But yeah, I, I know what you mean. So yeah. basically, I've been working freelance on the side for a number of years now. And uh, I just decided I need a website eventually. So this is uh, this is what's going going to come. It's going to be newworkpro.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I do is uh, basically the same thing I always do. Uh, helping Helping companies... Uh, create workplaces that are more engaging and have a better employee experience. Making work work. Was Making work work exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm just I'm just making it a bit more bit more official in the cool. coming weeks. Um, yeah. How would you say? How would you? This is another cliche. I always allow myself like three cliche questions in each interview. This is the last one. That's how do you measure success? Oh Jesus. <laughs> Do this in how, do how do I? Um, so um, financially, it, it just has to be enough. Um, I like to spoil myself, but I'm like super fine not being spoiled, if that makes sense. Um, a good vacation for me is going to Lithuania and hanging out in a national park uh, in a small cottage with no internet and I can spend weeks there and, and be fine. Well, you have a fax machine though, right? No, no Catch fax machines. No fax machines. Um, we do, we do have roosters. <laughs> Is that like an app or something? Is that like <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, on that level, it just needs to be enough to provide. Uh, so my kids are comfortable. My wife is comfortable and uh, we don't feel like uh, life is unduly hard due to lack of funds. Um, but uh, other than that, I, my, main, my main measure, if I'm doing okay, is how I feel on Monday morning or Sunday evening, uh, for that matter. And as long as I wake up on Monday and it feels like either every other day and it's fine, and, uh, or I'm like, hey, nice, oh, this project is moving forward today. I, I look forward to doing that. Um, that's good. And when I feel, feel the opposite too many Mondays in a row, I start to make evaluations uh, of things that need to change. Um, no, that's already plenty. I think I'm going to use that sentence as the opener for our, for our post. How do you measure success? How do I feel on Sunday evening or on Monday morning? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I try to, I try to, to live by, by that cliche uh, that money, money isn't everything. I've uh, rejected job offers that were financially very, very nice. But I could just anticipate that I would not really make it through the first year uh, without losing joy. Absolutely. I also always hear the sentence like people, are, they're making 
a lot more money than I am, but they also work like 70 hours a week. And I'm like, well, if you're so successful, why the fuck are you still working 70 hours a week, bro? You know what I mean? I, think, yeah. I mean, it depends if it's something that you really love. I think 70 hours doesn't seem like 70 hours, but me for myself, I don't know if I would, I also enjoy having a free weekend, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah I know there's uh, one uh, acquaintance of mine had a conversation with a woman working for Goldman in London. Yeah. And she said something to the effect of like, I wouldn't get up for less than 80,000 pounds a year. And his response was, well, you're never going to bed for 180,000 or whatever she's making. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah. priorities, um, I guess. But I don't think there is too many people uh, who retire or spend their last days wishing they had worked a little, just a little bit more <laughs> or they had just made a little bit more money. I don't right. think those are the things. I should have spent more time in meetings. Yes. That's, that's what's yes. missing. Oh, man. That's, yeah. Yeah. If I just had added 10 minutes to every meeting, my life would have <laughs> just been so much fuller. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think that's, I don't think uh, that's true. And I'm lucky. Uh, I come from a big family that's always valued. It, like community in my family is pretty important and uh, so uh, I'm just trying trying to live by that and make space for for hedonism and for <laughs> for okay. uh, just you know some would say wasting time but it's not wasted yeah. if you enjoy not, it exactly time's not wasted if you're having fun yeah exactly so I think so that's, I'll, I'll see you on League of Legends tonight that's yeah, important <laughs> um, that yeah. is likely <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's wrap it up. Jonas, thank you so much for coming here today. Thanks um, for having me. And um, yeah, we'll see you guys around. Thanks you for turn thank you for tuning in. I'm gonna cut that when we gleich nochmal schneiden can. Nope. Thanks for tuning in into another uh, episode of the Prevence Podcast. See you guys next time. Prevents podcast.